From the University of Alberta Alumni Association, it's What the Job. I'm Matt Ray. Um, because in the end, I want to be able to, to make a difference again for people coming behind me. And so that's a lot of what drives me is, is making, um, making the world better for my kids, for students, for the next generations, um, so that we can all just continue doing what we love. On this episode of What the Job, my guest is Jessica Vandenberg. Jessica is currently the Assistant Dean of Outreach with the Faculty of Engineering at the U of A, but she also has a long, winding career as an engineer working in the oil sands. We talk about some of the soft skills she's developed to help her be a better engineer, her experiences as an Indigenous woman working in the oil sands, and why she believes outreach, healing, and reconciliation are important for all of us. What the Job is made possible with the support of our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Did you know that through the TD Insurance Mellish Monarchs program, University of Alberta alumni are entitled to preferred rates on car, home, condo, and renter's insurance? Save even more by bundling your car and home insurance. To learn more about how you can save, please visit tdinsurance.com slash ualbertaalumni. So what's your name and what's your job? My name is Jessica Vandenberg, and I am currently the Assistant Dean of Outreach at the Faculty of Engineering at the University of Alberta, as well as an Industrial Professor of Indigenous Engineering, as well as I have a side consultancy company called Gliding Star Consulting. That's a lot of different things. Uh, how do you balance this? Um, you know, can you tell me a little bit about the difference, I guess, between your, your job in the academy, for example, and your job as a, as a consultant on the side? For sure, definitely balance is a huge thing for me. Um, I definitely believe in the medicine wheel balance between emotional, spiritual, physical, and uh, mental health, that you balance all of these four things and you can find a way to walk in a good way. So um, I'm also a mom, so it's another thing to balance as well as an avid volunteer um, with the alumni and with various other organizations. But it's finding... Um, time to set expectations of folks. Uh, it's time to uh, manage um, what priority is for you at this time and um, finding ways to partner with people and draw people in so you can share the load. And so there is a, a difference, of course, between the two um, jobs. My full-time job is with the university. And so assistant dean of outreach in the faculty of engineering, what I do for there, um, I look after a variety of portfolios. So K to 12 outreach programming. So we concentrate on um, um, youth engineering camps and programs. We produce activity boxes for purchase. We have a lot of conversations with prospective students about what is engineering. Uh, we set the stage for what it's like to transition into um, university from high school or from where you are at. Um, we set up programs to help with that, mentorship programs, things like pre-U to get some extra upgrading and orientation. We do ENG 100, which is orientation to the faculty once you're enrolled. Um, a number of student clubs we look after um, and facilitate and, and help to organize. Um, we work on EDI, truth and reconciliation, all sorts of really fun things that uh, we do on behalf of the faculty which is slightly different than my consulting company where I walk in many worlds to help um, move along truth and reconciliation for indigenous communities and peoples. So often I'll 
act either on the side of Indigenous communities to help facilitate and move along things like infrastructure projects or community projects, or I'll sit on the other side of the table with government or funding organizations or industry to help them understand how to walk with the communities. I can see how balance would be important. Those are those are vast jobs and important jobs. Just because I was thinking about it, what what's it like to talk to kids about engineering? Like you said, K to 12. So these are young kids. What do you guys chat with kids about? For sure. Yeah, I love chatting with kids. I've always been a, a STEM outreach supporter since I was in university itself. So we talk about um, engineering because it is very much an invisible profession. There's a, a lot of folks, even engineers that can't always articulate what engineering is, because it's more than just applied math and sciences. It's creativity, it's design, it's innovation, it's sustainability. And it's extremely broad. In Canada alone, there's over 44 different disciplines of engineering um, offered by the accredited universities. Um, and it's very broad all the way from uh, naval architecture to mechanical to electrical to um, aerospace. So what we tell kids is that no matter your interest, no matter your hobby, you could find a place in engineering to pursue your both your passion as well as um, applying your your math and science abilities. I'm curious for you also, um, talking about uh, indigenous engineering, when you got into engineering, when when you and we'll talk a little bit about why you decided to go down that path. Um, did you see a lot of people like you in engineering, or I mean, because when I think about engineering, when I started university a long time ago. Um, it was mostly the same kind of people in engineering. But I wonder for you, what did you see diversity in engineering when you first got into it? Is it becoming more diverse now? Um, that's a really good question. So I did the transfer program. So I grew up in a small town, rural Alberta, in north, north of Grand Prairie. And so I went to the Grand Prairie Regional College and did their transfer program to the University of Alberta. And in the first year class there, um, it was predominantly white male. Um, there was me and one other female, and there was very few people of different ethnic diversity. Coming here to the university itself, um, it brought in to have more ethnic diversity, um, but still not a whole lot of gender diversity. So I think when I was going through, I took chemical engineering, which has a higher percentage of, of um, females in the profession, so somewhere around 20-ish percent. Um, but overall, in in university, there's still not a whole lot more than that right now. So it's still somewhere between um, 20, 22% uh, female enrollment. And so that's something that we're concentrating on to work on both attraction as well as retention of diversity within the engineering profession. Uh, and I'm kind of curious, you know, we're talking about uh, going into that path. And I said we we're going to come back to it. What was it that made you decide um, that engineering was the way that you wanted to go? You know, you're from a small town in northern Alberta. Uh, what was it that you thought, you know what, I want to I become an engineer? Yeah, for sure. Definitely growing up, I didn't hear of engineering at all. Um, my dad worked in the trades, did construction, um, and him and my brothers, my brothers eventually went into the trades as well, and they started their own businesses, which they still run up in Grand Prairie. And my mom um, immigrated from Germany um, and the way education worked in Germany at the time she grew up post-World War is that um, they decided what you're going to be. And so she was 
was decided she was going to be a seamstress. Um, and so she never finished her high school, but she came here to Canada and she continued to um, learn on her own. So she taught herself math and she taught herself Spanish and she taught herself all, all sorts of things, but she um, wanted to become a farmer. So she managed the farm, a cattle and grain farm, as well as she went out to um, work for a number of accounting firms and eventually took over the accounting for the companies that my dad and my brothers ran. So I didn't have a whole lot of exposure to engineering um, other than what was shared in our high school. And so in grade 11, we had an engineer come and chat with our chemistry class. And that changed my mind. Um, at that time, I was thinking of going into medicine and it shifted me from medicine to engineering. And I don't, I don't regret that move at all. And can you tell me a little bit about what your first engineering job was like? For sure. So I took the co-op program. So the co-op program places you in industry. Um, and so here at the University of Alberta, um, based in Edmonton and growing up in small town Alberta, I was very intentional to choose jobs that would take me outside of Edmonton. So I did uh, four different industries and I tried to vary it so I could figure out what would fit me um, for a more permanent job. And so I started with nuclear research um, and then I went on to work um, for a pulp company. I worked for a petrochemical company and then up in the oil sands. And so I was able to try a lot of different types of jobs um, and different tasks associated with chemical engineering. I was taking the computer process control option, which allows you to tune instrumentation and optimize it. Um, so I did a variety of jobs from um, with the nuclear research, we did explosion testing for different type of um, coating in case there was a hydrogen release for um, pulp, the pulp and paper plant. We did maintenance and reliability, um, looking at equipment and lifespan and coming up with new procedures. And then in the oil sands we did, um, as well as with petrochemical, I did um, instrumentation tuning and optimization. Um, and then I, from there I chose that um, the oil sands was a great industry to go into because I wanted to stay in my home province here of Alberta. And the oil sands had a, has a long history here, um, but still fairly young industry. So I knew I could make a, a long career in the oil sands. So eventually that's what I chose is that industry. Curious though, because uh, your career, is it still, would you say your career is still in the oil sands now that you work at the university? No, it isn't. Um, I've always tried to pursue my passion. As I mentioned, I'm also an avid volunteer. So I always volunteered for um, youth um, engineering outreach, STEM outreach, um, and giving back to the community. So while I was working in the oil sands, I was a senior research engineer for about a decade or so. Um, I always uh, volunteer for organizations like Wisest or the Alberta Science Network um, doing um, engineering activities. So when I decided I was at a point in my career where I wanted to try leadership, um, I decided to leave that company for a number of reasons, but I went to work for APEGA, the Association of Professional Engineers and Geoscientists of Alberta, where I was Director of Outreach and Product Services for three years, looking after a portfolio very similar to what I'm looking after now. Um, as well as I did three years as Director of Enforcement of, and Permits. So looking after the Compliance Department, which is license and, and title protection. Um, I looked after the disciplinary tribunal, uh, which we produced um, case law at the equivalent of the uh, Court of Queen's Bench here in Alberta. 
And then the permit um, department as well, which looks after the 5,000 engineering and geoscience companies in the province, um, helping them with their quality management systems and training their responsible members. So it was really good exposure to um, a lot of different national initiatives that I led, um, provincial um, collaboration with stakeholders, um, building a very robust, helping to be part of building a very robust um, regulatory body. Um, but I initially had gone there because um, outreach, K-12 outreach, um, equity, diversity, inclusion was part of my job. Um, but I eventually moved on because I felt that calling again, um, but I was on the regulatory side and I didn't see a path back to getting that as part of my world. And so um, I felt a calling to work with Indigenous people and communities. So then I shifted to a professional consultancy firm. Um, that was very socially minded and they were looking for someone to build relationships with First Nations and Métis Nations and Métis settlements here in the province. Um, so I did that on their behalf, um, building a lot of relationships with those communities and working with the communities to find what their needs were and help facilitate those conversations and, and help see where our company could help with those projects. Um, and if we weren't a good fit, setting up the communities with the right connections they needed to to build their community into something strong and vibrant in, in what they envisioned. Um, and so I did that for a couple of years. Um, and then I, I was offered a, a position here at the faculty. So then I shifted over here. It seems like you've moved quite a lot. Is that a fair assessment? It is, yeah. Always pursuing things that excite me and are I'm passionate about. And I think passion is a great word to describe it. A lot of people, when they are plotting out a career journey, when you know, when you're young or whatever, we do it according to the work itself, right? We think, I want to get into engineering and one day I'm going to become, I don't know, the chief engineer or whatever, the highest engineering rank. That's not my world, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it seems like for you, and I don't know if this was deliberate or uh, I think in most cases it's not deliberate. It just kind of works that way because you find, you figure out more about yourself and you figure out more about the industry as you work through it. But it seems like for you, um, the job was a thing and then the passion was a thing and you found ways to bring them together. Do you think that makes sense? For sure. And this leads back to the initial question that you asked that I'm always pursuing balance as well. Um, I've, I've done the race to try to make it to the top of the ladder, whatever the ladder is. Um, but moving to the top of the ladder means time away from your family, time away from your kids time away from your own health um, and the things that you need for your own um, your own sanity, I guess, <laughs> and then finding some balance there. So um, now I'm looking for things in that job that get me excited um, and I don't necessarily need to, to move up the corporate ladder. To go back to engineering, um, and maybe this is specific to chemical engineering, I'm not sure, but I'm just kind of curious what kind of skills you developed or what kind of skills you think are important for you know, people who, who are thinking about becoming uh, chemical engineers, what are the kind of skills that you built that were very useful for that job? For sure, definitely. So um, chemical engineering, just to chat about that for just a second, most people think it's very much uh, chemistry heavy, but it's actually not. It's It should actually be called process engineering because we, we design process um, for whatever needs to be, um, whatever the industry is for. So for example, in pulp and paper, we would design, you put in wood into this black box and out, out comes paper. Um, so we're the ones who design that process. 
for whatever comes in. And so this process thinking is what I built um, as a chemical engineer. And moving from say the oil sands where we design process to remove oil or remove sand or, or treat the water or whatever our process we were working on there, the same, the same methodology that we used, I could use at Apega for designing K to 12 overage programs. We ran um, a national, we developed a national video game to encourage kids in. So the same, um, the same methodology could be used for that. And when I took over the compliance department, uh, the same methodology could be used there. So it's, it's, a, it's a way of thinking through a project, thinking through how you move an idea to something where you can pilot and can test and, and play with it and tweak it a bit. And how do you scale it up and how do you get buy-in? And then how do you make a process or make a, a system that's very robust that will last however long you need it to last? And then how do you wrap it up and, and close down a project as well? So this whole mindset is something um, that you learn as a, a chemical process engineer and likely in other disciplines too. And then what, el what other skills helped me as well was the volunteerism that I did helped me build skills in public speaking and communication, learning how to um, talk with different types of groups of people, whether they were kids or CEOs or whether they were other engineers or other professionals. Um, and the networking skills that I learned at APEGA were hugely beneficial as well. How to um, work in different realms because everybody has different protocols and different expectations that aren't, aren't always explicitly stated. So how do you navigate um, politics in a diplomatic way and how do you navigate different spaces? So those are a few of the skill sets that I've learned along the way that have, have really helped me and transferred between industries. Yeah, we hear so much about soft skills and the importance of like teamwork, communications, you know, being able to work. And you think of engineering as a very hard skills profession, at least from the outside, at least from my perspective. So um, can you talk a little bit about your volunteering, the things that you did in, and why that was so valuable for your career? I know you just touched on it and maybe there's not much more to say, but uh, I'm always curious on the secondary things people do that end up playing a pivotal role in their career. 100%. So maybe I'll talk about the volunteerism I did um, during my university life. Um, I, I took the opportunities where I could because coming from a small town, um, there we didn't have that much exposure to different programs or different extracurriculars or anything like that, like you do here in the city. And so I took it full advantage of that. So I volunteered with Circle K where we would work uh, with different community partners. So we volunteered one time, for example, in a women's shelter just to watch the kids so the the mothers could go get their training uh, we volunteered in soup kitchens or for churches so it gave me a chance to see the city in different in a different light um, I also volunteered as mentioned for organizations like Wisest or um, Discovery or the Alberta Science Network anybody doing career talks to elementary kids um, as well as APEGA they they offered um, some there as well as I signed up to be part of mentorship programs and then um, another skill set um, that I learned on the side, I think, was also through extracurricular sports. So being part of the University of Alberta Ski Club, um, being part of slow pitch teams and things like that. And eventually I took over the organization of those. And so um, those are side skill side activities where you can learn skills like project management and people management, too. Uh, and so I did a lot of that on the side, too. 
Yeah, you, when you're running a sports team, you got to make sure that you're you're diplomatic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm curious too. Then how this led to your career in in outreach, and then pretty much the same question as I asked before. When you moved into more of an outreach focus, what were the skills that you needed for that particular job? And um, if there are people who are thinking, oh, this would be a good path for me, what are the things that they need to start? You know, what are the kind of skills that they need to start building now? So definitely moving into the outreach world, it was a whole new subject area um, that I had volunteered for, but I had never really been part of how do you organize all these things and how do you um, how do you get your funding? How do you fill out grants? How do you fundraise and talk with sponsors? Um, but also it gave me a huge appreciation for those who make a, a life in event management. Um, because planning these events, um, especially some very large conferences and large fundraising events, take at least a year and a whole lot of people and time behind it. So it teaches you a lot of project management skills that are very transferable from an engineering project to that of an event management project. Um, but it's it's something as well that um, benefits from those who work in that profession. So I worked always alongside folks who were trained as fundraisers or trained as event managers or trained um, as uh, people who talk with corporate sponsors. And and so that exposure was something that definitely benefited uh, moving into the outreach world, um, as well as um, just understanding the end user. Because often, often you can get wrapped up in what you're doing and forget who is using or who is the end um, person that wants it. And that is something that any engineer can benefit from no matter where they work is don't forget who's at the end of it. When I ran the compliance department at APEGA, I would always tell my team that. I said, these aren't just files, these are people's lives. If we are making a decision that they are not compliant and, and starting to take legal action against them, this means something to them. It's personal to them as well as it's affecting their professional career. So we need to keep in mind who our person is at the end that we are um, working uh, with and, and keeping in mind how do we do that in an um, equitable, inclusive type of way that's still fair and transparent. And what was it that made you decide that you would take the opportunity to enter academia, you know, enter into that uh, the sort of public sector and, and academic side? Uh, because it, maybe it's not a big shift. I guess you'll tell me, but um, it seems like a big shift away from from engineering and outreach in engineering. It is a bit of a shift for sure. Um, but in my mind, ever since um, I was in university as a student, I always thought, you know, you should always end your career teaching. Like I always think about the next generation. Like I'm, I don't want to keep working till I'm 80 or 90 years old. I want somebody else to take it on and pass it on. And so succession planning was drilled into me as well because I worked with a number of military folks, um, ex-military folks when we were at APEGA. And they always said, always think about who's coming next and set the stage for them. And that aligns as well with the Indigenous teaching of thinking through for the next seven generations that any decision you make, think about how it impacts the next seven generations. So I, I do think about that, that, um, you know, towards mid to end career, it'd be great to work with people to pass on your knowledge and your experience and the things that you've learned to help make a path that's uh, maybe a little bit easier for the next folks um, so that they can be successful too. And so it has always been in my mind to end my career at, at a place like a university or a college or teaching or, or something like that. Um, 
And I always had thought that I would need a, a um, PhD to do that. I have a master's, but not a PhD. And so it was, I was very um, excited when the university approached me and said, oh, no, you can be an industrial professor with a master's. You don't need a, a full PhD. And I said, okay, that, that's great to hear. And, and so sign me up. And so then we, we moved forward with that. So are you teaching? Do you teach a lot? So I do a lot of guest lectures. I don't have any courses assigned to me right now, um, but we have a number of programs that you know, I help look after. So things like our discovery organization, we just launched a new program called Engineering Connects, which actually does a lot of what we were just talking about, um, giving engineering students a chance to build those complementary skills. So leadership, communication, um, it's a community placement program. So a little different than the co-op, which is industry placement. We place them in one of two communities to work on community-driven, socially meaningful projects. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of curious what it's like for you to to get in front of uh, the audience and, and give a lecture. I know for a lot of people, that's a very scary thing. Do you find it to be a natural, a natural fit for you or is it intimidating? Uh, no, um, I'm okay with it now. As I mentioned, in when I was in university as a student, um, well, maybe I didn't mention this. I was a very shy, very introverted person. And so I knew that I needed to work on that. So I was very intentional about taking Toastmasters and putting myself in situations to build communication and speaking skills, which actually was why I enjoy talking to elementary kids for STEM outreach, because they're a very easy audience. They're super curious. They're all excited. They ask you a million questions. Um, and then eventually, um, as my jobs allowed, um, I was media trained in, in the oil sense to help be a spokesperson on behalf of the um, company I worked for. And then Apega was very public facing as well. So a lot of opportunity to hone those public speaking skills in front of uh, a very, very different audiences. And so I've been fortunate to talk alongside um, astronauts. I've talked with um, ministers at the federal level of both the Canadian government as well as the New Zealand government, provincial ministers, like all, all sorts of different levels of authority um, in the variety of the projects that I've worked on. It seems like you're very self-aware about who you are and you're willing to take opportunities to improve yourself or uh, I don't I I would never say like being introvert introverted is a weakness because I'm introverted myself and I, I don't think it is but you you see where the things that you want to build or improve on based on who you are and then you seize the opportunities and we hear that a lot on this podcast that you should always be open to opportunities yes 100 percent self-awareness is huge because the only one who is going to help make you successful all the time is yourself. <laughs> and so you'll get allies along the ways and sponsors along the way. Um, but definitely your career is your own and the only person who knows you well is yourself. So it's very important to take the time to know yourself. Um, I believe in something called the Johari window, if you've heard of that before. So on one axis is what you know about yourself and the other axis is what other people know about you. So there are places where you know something about me that I don't know um, because of your perception of, of how I present. But there are things about myself that I know that you don't know. And then there's things that we both know together and then things that are still unknown. And so I work very much to um, try to be authentic in the different spaces that I've gone in. As an indig indigenous person, um, 
especially in the engineering field and a female as well. I've been in the minority. And so I've tried different approaches um, throughout my career. So in the beginning, I tried being more invisible um, and that didn't quite fit right. I tried blending in, you know, learning to talk the hockey talk and the football talk and talk the way everybody else and be one of the one of the guys or whatever. And um, and that fit all right, but not quite right. And now I work very hard to just be authentic and be myself. And um, that takes its own kind of courage and its own kind of um, awareness as well. So just trying different approaches to to try to walk in a good way, the best way I can. Uh, it's interesting because that's a path on its own. Like, you know, we, we, on this podcast, we always talk about career journeys and the different paths you take, but, um, you know, in, in your case, and I imagine for other people who are minorities in their fields, they, they feel the same way. How do I fit in? I mean, um, I do, I want to talk a little bit about indigenous engineering because it's right in your title. Um, can you tell me what that is and what's, um, interesting about it or unique about it? For sure. And it, it is an interesting title and it doesn't really, um, I don't know if it really describes what I do, but um, amongst as, as the many job things, titles are. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But amongst the many things that fall under my portfolio is equity, diversity, inclusion, um, which now has the added word of decolonization. So um, as well as truth and reconciliation. So we know that these things are important to Canada, to anybody, uh, whether you're Indigenous or not, um, whether you're a settler or not, whether you're um, recent to Canada or not, um, understanding the Indigenous people's journey and their um, their walk through a lot of different oppression uh, is very important because it, it, it helps inform who we are as a country um, and how we treat our own people. And so, for a professional engineer, it is, well, any profession um, and anybody um, in their jobs, it's important that they understand the truth side of things and come to terms with that so that we can move to the point so we can all answer the calls to action. Um, not just the calls to action are not just for large organizations or government or churches or um, uh, entities that are specifically named in that. It's every single individual as well. And so a lot of what I do is help people start their truth and reconciliation journeys. Uh, we talk about the histories, we talk about the state of affairs now, we um, try to correct some of the stereotypes and biases um, and help people start uh, very much that self-awareness journey that we we're talking about because sometimes it's hard to look in the mirror when you're like, oh, I didn't realize that that was something that, um, was happening and this is how I contributed to it both either positively or negative, but let's talk about how we can move forward together. And so that's a lot of um, what I do in terms of indigenous engineering um, is working to um, working on decolonization as well as um, how do we incorporate indigenous ways of knowing and being and relating and, and doing into our programs and into our culture and how do we um, do this in a way that we can start um, start and continue working with Indigenous communities in a different way than we have been. And on that front of um, uh, decolonization and uh, including Indigenous ways of knowing, um, do you think there's been progress? You've been in this field for a long time. Um, I'm sure you've seen um, a lot of things in your time in that field. Is that is is change happening? Um, is it is it 
changing? I think so. I think so. Change comes slow. Like it took, um, I, I'm on my own healing journey. I have been as an indigenous person, I've been through a lot of racist things and discriminatory things. And, and I know personally the impact that has. Um, so the amount of time that it's taking us to get to this point is the same amount of time that it's going to take for us to heal. And so are we shifting towards um, causing more damage or um, starting down the healing journey? I think it is starting to shift. People are talking about it more. Um, we hear things like land acknowledgements and people being curious about that. We hear people um, taking things like the Indigenous Canada MOOC that the university offers. Um, we, we hear people wanting to start the conversation and that is exactly where we want it to be. We want that critical mass starting to get curious about it and be open to those conversations. Um, and so I do see things shifting um, and I hope it is shifting, especially for my children. I don't want them to go through the things that I have been through. Um, I want a, a better life for them um, and I want a better life for the communities. And so you see these things in, in the media, you see these things um, out there and a lot of people dedicated to, to changing things. Like we even see it, saw Gord Downey making a lot of efforts in the end of his life and career to advocating for indigenous people. And you see more and more celebrities jumping on board and eventually we're gonna get that momentum that we need, um, but it, it is shifting. Yes, I am hopeful. I, I I think so. You know, I mean, from my own perspective, I'll say I remember when I was in high school, I don't think I learned about Indigenous history at all. Uh, I went to high school in Ontario and in grade school as well. And I do think it's becoming a little more incorporated. And certainly even in my own short comms career, I think these kinds of things. So I, I mean, I, I would be curious in, you know, a couple of decades or whatever to interview another Indigenous woman who's gone through engineering and, and hear about her experiences and, uh, and what's changed. And, but, you know, it's, um, yeah, it, it's a fascinating world. And it, it's curious to me how um, outreach is now a, a big priority, how that we do have a professor of Indigenous outreach who's doing this kind of work for this specific field and in STEM in general. Um, I want to change gears just a little bit because I want to go back to your career and talk about all the changes that you've gone through. Um, every time I talk to a guest and all so many of them have a similar career of like, oh, you know, I did this and then I thought I wanted to do something else. So then I did and blah, 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 blah. I'm curious if it was always just one thing to the next thing to the next thing, or if there was a time where you were like, I don't really know what I want to do. I feel kind of lost or stuck. Like, I guess I'm saying like, is your career path something that felt smooth, just was something that you went through, or were there times you felt stuck? No, for sure, definitely. Um, I don't know if uh, stuck was ever the word that I would use, but there were times where I was frustrated um, for a variety of reasons. I mean, a lot of people leave jobs because of leaders or the type of task that they're doing or treatment or behavior of other people around them. and. Um, I'm no different. It was a combination of things that caused me to leave the organizations I left um, and pursue something else. But then I was very intentional about what I wanted to pursue next, always looking for some way to incorporate a little bit more of the things that I was passionate about um, in order to contribute and, and make a difference. Um, because in the end, I want to be able to, to make a difference again for people coming behind me. And so that's a lot of what drives me is is making, um, making the world better for my kids, for students, for the next generations. 
um, so that we can all just continue doing what we love. That sounds like a goal we should all have. Uh, I asked earlier about um, your how you got into engineering, but um, I just to kind of jump ahead of that question a little bit, can you talk to me a little bit about your upbringing? Yes, for sure, definitely. So um, we chatted a little bit around the Indigenous side of things. So I was born from the Dene Ta First Nation, so they're northern um, bands up in northern Alberta. But I was what is called a 60 scoop survivor. So I was put into the foster adoption system. And I was adopted at a very young age into a very inclusive German family. Um, and as mentioned earlier, I um, grew up on a farm north of Grand Prairie, very small town. The closest town, I think, was 67 people. Um, so very remote, um, but still in proximity to, to Grand Prairie. And so my upbringing, um, was with this uh, with this German farming family who did help instill a lot of really great skill sets in there as well. As mentioned, they were my mom was farmer, my dad was construction, so hardworking, very community focused, very community driven. Um, you know, you all contribute to family, you contribute to community, um, and you always pursue continual learning, and you save your money. This was instilled in us too. But my mom, I just want to mention my mom just for a sec second, because um, she did have incredible foresight. So even though we grew up in this remote farm, I remember her telling us when computers were coming out, she said, you're going to have to learn about computers and you have to type every day for half an hour in order to be able to prepare yourself for whatever you're going to become. And so in this farm farmhouse in the middle of nowhere, we had to have type for half an hour a day. So it turned out that that was a, a good benefit. I also grew up on a farm and saving your money was definitely instilled into me. Uh, <laughs> we would, the heat would be as low as possible in the winter. We would just wear more sweaters, whatever it was. Yeah, exactly. Lots of fuzzy socks and lots of sweaters. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think we'll go on and we'll do the lightning round, which is brought to you by our affinity partner, TD Insurance. These are all just simple questions, and most of them are yes or no. Well, some of them are anyway, and you can just answer off the top of your head. The first one is, have you ever been fired from a job? No. Many people haven't. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be an artist and a musician. It's interesting that you instead went down STEM. You know, people think that STEM and art, oh, these are opposites. But we, the last interview I did was with a person who works in AI, and he talked a lot about how art plays a role. Does art play a role in, in your career, do you think? For sure, 100%. Like, engineers are very creative, um, and that's why I went into um, research, because it allowed me to be creative. Um, in the programs that I run now, it allows that creative creativity to flow, too, that we can invent new programs and new supports and systems and services. So creativity works its way in all over the place. What advice would you have for someone who feels like they're in a career rut? I'd say start expanding your network. Talk to your network. Just talk to other people about what they do and, and see and get excited about where you could go, either within your same company or elsewhere. What do you think you would be doing? I'll, I'll expand this question a lot because normally it's what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't in this job? But what, what do you think you would have done had you not become an engineer? I'm curious about that. 
I think I might have become a, a teacher, maybe. Um, I've been told I would have made a great lawyer, <laughs> but I don't, I don't know if I would have gone that way. What's your favorite thing about your job right now? My favorite thing is working with students, the university students. Um, they're just so excited and they're um, so hopeful for the world and optimistic. Um, even despite these stressful times, they're, they're still um, pursuing their career and their passions as well. So working with the students for sure. If you could go back in time and talk to yourself just after you graduated, what advice would you give yourself? I would say keep working on courage. Um, always have the courage to take the opportunities when they come and be able to look for them. And if they're not there, you can still create them. In respect to your education or career path, is there anything that you wish you had done? No, I'm very happy with uh, where I've gone and the experiences that I've had. Um, it's taken me all over the world, and I don't regret any anything that has that I've done. Jessica, this has been a lot of fun and very informative. Thank you so, so much for joining us. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of What the Job. And thanks to our guest, Jessica Vanderberg, for talking to us about her work in engineering. And as always, a reminder that the best place for alumni to connect with other alumni about jobs, mentorship, or volunteer opportunities is the online platform Switchboard. It's free, and you can try it out today at uab.ca slash sboard. It's a great tool no matter where you are in your career journey. That's it for this episode. For What the Job, I'm Matt Ray. See you next time.